Hello, people of ours. We've got some delicious books for you to listen about. Uh, later today, you're listening to The Bookworm on Fab Radio International dot com in association with Starburst magazine. My name is Ed Fortune and I'm here with... Ross Smith, thinking about tasty, tasty books. Mm, delicious books. Uh, so, I will be talking about a laptop guy, um, which is about a guy with a laptop for a head. And this? I'll be talking about Casino Royale, the Ian Fleming classic, that you probably know. And we'll, be, first outing. And we'll be interviewing Jason Hoff, um, known for his spy fi. Ooh, so we have, ooh, I like that. So we have Wi Fi, like we have spy fi, and we have spies. There's a, there's a thing there. Don't, don't do this don't again. Don't do, do that again. again. No. <laughs> <laughs> Step away from don't the pub. Don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> what, when I was. What? No. No. <laughs> should explain to regular non-regular listeners that uh, as a member from the northeast of England I am banned from saying the words YI, Wi-Fi or Hawaii or any combinations in there because apparently it's just not on. Um, so book news, we actually have book news. Yay! News Shocking. Because uh, we are a book show and that's what we do. So uh, stuff is happening with books. British Fantasy Award nominees announced. Uh, we talked about this last week as well, but it's still kind of really cool. Uh, basically, uh, the British Fantasy Award nominees. It's a really good list. It's a really, really, really good list. It's a really, really, really good list. Um, so, uh, up for the Robert Holstock Award, we've said this before, but Katie Davis' Breed and Francis Harding's The Cuckoo Song and Edward Cox's The Relic Guild. They are obvious as well? Yeah, but I wouldn't. Re- I, I, I really wouldn't want to be having to make that choice. Um, I'm over to you, but... Um, <laughs> small press awesome pub- stuff here. Small press publishers such as Newcom Press, Fox Books and the Alchemy Press um, are also up for awards and familiar faces such as Sarah Lotz as well as steampunk writers Lavi Tidor and Jonathan Green could also be up for awards. Um, so yeah, I mean we talked about that this last week as well but we're just so excited. This is a whole bunch of cool stuff. Um, Yelk was very su- successful. Yelk was a hit. What was Yelk? I'm not in fact prodding Ed with a, Yelk. Uh, with, with a small <laughs> knitting needle. Yelk but that, that's a legitimate way of producing this show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Yalk is the Young Adult lit- Literature Convention, um, and it happened at the same time as the London Film and Comic Con. It was actually in the same building, in the same place, and essentially they, there was crossover between the two. So you could go to uh, the, the London Film and Comic Con, or you could go to Yalk instead. Obviously, you'd go to the Young Adult Literature Convention. I mean, why the heck wouldn't you? Hmm. Um, absolute pile of guests as well, including uh, Ben Aronovitz, Cassandra Clare, Charlie Higson. Dan Patrick, Francesca Heath, my goodness, Sarah Pindra, Bill Hill, Mallory Blackman. That, that's that's a list. That is a list. That's a, that's cracking. Um, so apparently it was really really good. Um, added a word nerd element to the whole London London Film and Comic Con. Yep. Um, yeah, it's almost in danger of making the whole thing like you know, a whole celebration of geekness. Hmm. Goodness me, it sounds, uh, it sounds good, but we don't have a time, time machine, so we can't go, and go to it. Which is a shame, because for many reasons I would like to have gone. <laughs> well, we'll try and go next year. Yeah. Um, Fran Wilde and Adrian Tchaikovsky. Who's Adrian Tchaikovsky? Do we know Who Adrian? is this bloke? Who's Never heard of him. Um, Except I have. <laughs> <laughs> they both joined Hi, Adrian. Hi, Adrian. <laughs> um, they've both joined Tor Label to produce stuff. Um, let's see. Fran Wilde's debut novel is called Updraft. Uh, Fran, you probably know better for fantasy short stories. She's written quite a few fantasy short stories, and now she's written a debut novel called Updraft. Um, and it's about a city, uh, a city of living bones that rises above the cloud. Um, it's past lost legend. That sounds awesome. Yeah, not to be confused with a story about um, US firefighters. That's Backdraft. 
and Adrian's book is called Spiderlight, and it's got this typical adventuring party. So you've got a fee, fee, fee <coughs> sorcerer, um, uh, like a, you know, an adventurer, ball person, and a giant spider. Hmm. Giant spider. Because it's a book by Adrian, and of course, you know, you've got to have a giant spider. Yeah, because why wouldn't you? So yeah, that sounds good actually. Well, but you, you know, can you imagine if in the Fellowship of the Rings, Shelob was one of the party? Oh, could have been done. Oh. You know, uh, I didn't hear any um, extensive negotiation from Frodo. I was like, oh, look, I've got a really important job to do here. Could you just stop thinking about your stomach for a couple of minutes? Well, it might have been. Might have been actually. In the There's Fellowship. a lot of consideration of stomach in that. In that. Entire book series, though, isn't there? Mm. The, the, the whole thing of the Fellowship of the Rings, it could have been that Shelob was there at the start. And Shelob was like, I tell you what, I'll, I'll take you to Mordor because I can climb up mountains and stuff because I'm a spider and I'm really yep. cool. Uh, apologies if you don't like these creatures, by the way. But yeah. um, And, you know, they were riding on the back. And then they had an argument about something. Maybe they, they disagreed about the rules of cricket. And that's why the whole thing in, in Frodo's story is like, oh, I fought the giant evil spider. It's actually, you know, Shelob was just, you know, a bit rude. So what you're telling me is there's missing memoirs around uh, out there somewhere, you know. No, the, no, there here. can't be more. No, no, clearly. Caleb's <laughs> uh, story. Uh, I, I would, I would read that story. This, it could be a fanfic, couldn't it? And that's when I ate him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what else is happening in the world of book news? What else is happening in the world of book news? Oh, um, Hodder. Uh, are having an open submission period window for novels, which they only count as 50,000 words or more, okay. um, has to contain some element of the speculative or fantastic uh, science fiction, fantasy and horror novels. You have to be unagented, uh, and it opens at midnight tonight, closes on the 16th of August. Um, we've put a link up on the uh, the Facebook uh, link will be going up on the Tumblr uh, we'll probably tweet something as well so you've got the links to that but, uh, but, get, time, but, but it's not um, they do sort of want you to basically have something written already uh, unless you can write the first three chapters or first 15,000 words in Take the next two weeks which theoretically you could do you could easily do you it you could actually. do that yeah 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 take a couple of weeks off and crack on yeah I mean, if you if you were going well, you could get that done. If you had if you had like your story plotted out and you just hadn't carried around to writing it, you could have that written in a week, couldn't you? Yeah. Um, Dodo Inca blanched um, by Sam Mills. <coughs> um, she wrote black. She wrote blackout. Um, also teamed up with uh, Tom Cool and Alex Spears. Um, they're looking for difficult and challenging fiction. Um, they intend to publish three novels per year. Wow. In paperback. Let's not diss anybody for starting small and making sure they don't cock it up. Yeah, that's actually quite good. It's quite ambitious, actually. Um, Especially difficult and challenging fiction, you know. And they're also looking into some sort of app development. Um, The first stories they're releasing is uh, a thing called Dodge and Burn, which is a psychedelic road trip, and a Lynchian ghost story called The Eleven Flatter. So that'd be interesting. Uh, yeah. Book festivals. Book festivals. Book festivals. Uh, disappointingly, we've we've missed the crime writing one, which I would have really loved, uh, and we've mostly missed one uh, somewhere called Port Elliot, which is in the bottom of Cornwall. Um, but that looks very cool and chilled out. The bottom of Cornwall. Yeah. Like under the sea, bottom of Cornwall. L- like a serious drive if you live in Manchester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but coming up that we haven't missed are the Edinburgh International Book Festival, which we might be able to send Dell to. Uh, the Cheltenham Festival of Literature and the Manchester Literary, Fest- Literature Festival, which we will be able to send virtually all of us to. Hey, that, that sounds like an excellent because we are, in fact, based in Manchester, mm. which, uh, which is convenient. Mm. Um, what else do we have? Oh, um, do you have one more news piece there? I do have one more. Go for it. Uh, there is a crowdfunding campaign for the Bristol Literature Festival. Uh, it's just launched. Uh, it ends on Monday the 31st of August 2015. Uh, I have to admit to having literally scan-read this um, to the point where I know virtually nothing about it other than they have some pictures of people being very smiley and cute. But that's fine. Now that you know about it, you can all yeah, we will, we will, we will, Yeah, um, we will put up the old linky uh, on the various social medias um, and let you have a think about whether you'd like to support that. And uh, leaving the, the least relevant to last, I'm afraid... Um, uh, the Man Booker Prize has snubbed Kazuo Ishigaro. Um, Kazuo wrote a book called Berry Giant. Um, he's a well-regarded author. You, you, you know who he is. You know who Ishigaro is. Um, he wrote a book um, 
where he used the backdrop of a swords and sorcery story to discuss moral conflict. So basically he used a fantasy setting to talk about, you know, more grown-up matters, which is standard for many fantasy books, as people who read fantasy books will be able to tell you quite easily. Um, he was hotly tipped to for the award, or at least to be on the shortlist, and due to it, you know, due to the fact that it, it had a massively positive critical reception, the fact that it's regarded as more lit than anything else, rather than genre, um, but it hasn't gone through on the Man Booker. Um, yet again, proving for as many years as it's been running, pretty much, that the Man Booker is just not relevant to, well, writers, publishers, readers, anyone, really. Um, he will use the remains of the day to uh, to uh, go and uh, go and uh, win another prize. Exactly. I mean, uh, what's the point of the man boogers? Sorry. They are they are better awards out there. The remains of the day. <laughs> Nobody said anything. <laughs> <laughs> the. Uh, uh, I had a quick look at this. There's, there's 13 things on the long list. Is that right? That doesn't yeah. seem very long. It's longer than the short list, I suppose, is the only rule that they have on that. Okay. But the the long list... Short is, list is 12. There's one thing with a vague sci-fi theme. Which um, one's that? I can't remember off the top of my head. Sort of a C. Um, uh, the Chimes? The Chimes, that's the one. It's got a vague fantasy musically. Music has replaced the written word and memories are carried as physical objects. It sounds nice. Oh. A lot of these books sound really, really... Some of the books sound really, really good. Some of them sound really interesting. The problem with the book is, is that many of the books that get nominated or even go on to win the bookers become books that people buy because they say, oh, it's won the Booker Prize. I've heard of that award. And it's never important. read them. And then they never read them. And it slowly but surely hammers another nail into the country's reading habits. You know, it's not like the Pulitzer Award where people go, oh, that's a Pulitzer winning book, and then they read it, and then they get engaged and they get excited. Because one of the criteria to win the man book is doesn't seem to have anything to do with readability. It's like, you know, it's, it's that, 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 that wonderful, you know, the quote from Stephen King where he's like, well, you, you have to choose whether you want a, a readership or if you want awards. And it's like, surely you'd go for readership. Readership sells more, sells more units, therefore more money, more royalties, yeah? More books books exist to be read by other people. Yeah, I'm kind of like you have to ask on that one. <laughs> uh, uh, it's just, oh, goodness me, and uh, just I, I really I despair at the because genre fiction is is, is strange. Where is genre book shows? So obviously, we're biased, mm. and when we say genre book show, we're talking about subcategories of books. But lit is a subcategory. And it's a small subcategory, and lit is lit is basically what an establishment says is lit. As yeah, well. it's, it's like it's a specific gang, and it's uh, yeah. Read this because it is the thing right now. Well, whatever happened to read this because you actually really like this sort of thing? Read this because yeah, and the you know, it's this whole concept of improving books. You know, just read, read broadly, read as many things as you can, enjoy it, recommend stuff across. Yeah, you will be surprised every now and again. Somebody will recommend something. Uh, you'll, you'll find you'll find something by accident that you know. I mean, you hear stories about judges at the Van Boogers where they'll just like, "Oh, I'll not read that. It's crime. I'll not read that. It's fantasy." <laughs> Why are you a judge then? Mm. Uh, sorry, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've got this terribly wrong, and this is not the way the game is supposed to be played, but. Get over yourself. Um, I'm thinking of a really, really devious scheme to solve two problems at once here. It involves... Um, I'm not even going to mention them, but... Um, <laughs> you have a devious scheme that's so devious you're not going to mention it. Nah, right. I'm just thinking, you know, why couldn't we have Ishiguro on, um, maybe, as a, maybe as a sensible uh, Hugo Award nomination for next year? No. And, you know, send those other people I'm not mentioning the other, uh, over, over to the Man Booker Prize? Cause no, that'd be good. Well, you see, there's the thing with um, uh, Station Eleven. But Station Eleven is definitely genre and it's definitely lit. And there's no reason why it can't be definitely genre and definitely lit. Mm. And at one o'clock? Of course at one o'clock. Um, goodness me. So um, anyway, shall we, shall we stop yes, ranting about books? Have, we, have we done all the news? Because rage. Uh, yeah, and uh, we'll move on. Radio. 
Well, is it my turn? It is. It is your turn. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm reviewing a book. Actually, <gasps> I'm reviewing... <laughs> the no. Of the show. <laughs> it's only taking like 20 months to figure out that's what we do. Yep. Sorry, um, I mean, my sarcasm may be high right now because the number of pre-records we've done today. We have done a number of pre-records and that's because uh, next week we're at nine. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, talk, we'll talk about it in the happy part of it. We'll talk yeah. about it at the end of the show. Um, yes, so I have a book in my hand. Actually, a book that was pushed into my hand. When in I was my hand, book. I have a book. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Don't bang on the table. <laughs> Seriously. This this this, this high tech high tech uh, table is uh, it's not doing very well right now. Anyway, like book review. Book review. So this was pushed into my hands when I was at um, Glasgow Comic Con talking about conventions, and it's by it's illustrated. It's a graphic novel. It is sequential art, uh, illustrated by Jack Lovian uh, and Sean Azir. Uh, Sean Azir has written the story. Um, Jack has. Ill- it is a thinly veiled biography. <laughs> Um, uh, yes, uh, sorry, Jack Lovian has written it, Shaw has drawn it, sorry. Uh, it is a thinly, thinly, very thinly veiled um, story of a chap um, who is basically Shaw. Um, he was working, working at a fast food restaurant, a Muck King's, in fact. Um, I see what did there. He's there, and there's a Everyone else who works there, there's a guy who is a Russian scriptwriter who's writing, trying to write the great Russian novel. <laughs> the problem is he's not actually Russian. Um, there's a guy called Dave who's a DJ, or at least he tells everyone he's a DJ. Um, there's someone who makes weird jewellery. Um, essentially, they all work in a fast food restaurant. They're not having the best of times. They can't seem to get their creative passion out. So our, our main our, our main hero invents firstly he invents a superhero team called Team Internet with broadband, router, lady ISP and he shows it to a friend and the friend's like What what is this? I don't really get comic books, what <laughs> uh, and he's you know ends up at a ends up at a dinner party where again a friend of his friend is going I don't so so you do comic books. Is it like the Beano? He's like he no. wants to go No, no, it's not like the Beano. It's can't sequential art, it's a complicated medium. You don't, you don't turn around to a movie producer and go, Is it like Casablanca? No, no it's not. What what do you mean? Um no. Um so it's all about creative frustration. Pretty much. Now it's got some fairly the humour is fairly dark at one point. One of the characters mutilates himself and hmm. that's a comedy note. So it gives you a rough idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about creative despair here. Um, but the main character has uh, has a bit of a moment where he's trying to create, he's trying to create, and he's trying to create, and he sort of steals slashes inspired by a friend um, and comes up with an idea called Laptop Guy. It's about a guy with a laptop for a head. That's what he is. What? He's a laptop guy, um, and he get he illustrates it. He gets it printed. He spends a whole chunk of money. He thinks it's hilarious. It's gonna make him make him famous. It's gonna do the thing. There's this wonderful moment where he's getting them printed. He's at the printers, and he's got these books printed. And he bumps into an old friend, and his old friend's like, "Oh, how are you doing?" He's like, "What are you doing?" Oh, I'm still working in the restaurant. And you know, trying to make something of myself. What happened to you? Oh, well, I lost my job. All right, so what's it you doing now? Oh, I'm about to rob this place. All right, I'll just leave. Um, <laughs> That's fair. That is the sense of humour here. That's kind of the... It's very dark, it's very weird, and it's surreal. And living how it just basically goes, oh, hang on, I've, I've gone... Shah, the fast food worker, has gone... Uh, I've I've lost. What am I doing? I'm you know I've lost my mind. He tries to sell his comic book at the comic book shop, but obviously the comic book shop mostly sells toys, uh, and, and, and so on. It's all. It's every single page is just filled with criticism about the the, the publishing industry, the comic book industry, uh, and creative frustration. And it's all about creative frustration. Even worse. He tries to get rid of Laptop Guy because Laptop Guy has not done him any favours. The comic book is not helping. Yet he can't stop drawing about him. 
and he starts oh. to hallucinate. Oh dear! This this man with a laptop for a head, he's, he's sitting there helping him. So you know he finds a small press publisher, and um, of course they don't help. The things go horribly wrong as well, and yet again, even more criticism on the, the small press and how the small press works and all the rest of it and various characters and there's the sly stabs left and right at various parts of the industry um, and yet again the laptop is talking to him, the, the laptop guy, guy can't stop talking to him as he goes through life, things take a turn for the worse when, when one of his best friends follows his path to creative freedom Produces his own detective duck comic book, <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> which is then promptly stolen stolen by a publisher and turned into Penguin PI because of course it is. Um, this is produced by Black Art Press. Black Art Press are to a point taking the mick out of themselves as well. They're, they're, they are parodying some of themselves because they are a um, indie comic book publisher. Mm. Uh, the, you know, at the Fox Spirit Newcom Press style level, slightly, slightly you know, one step above those sort of things. They're, a, they're an indie comics publisher, they do some very interesting stuff. We're really looking forward to reading Maximum Allen, which is about um, uh, alternate dimensions, uh, alternate dimensional invasion of Alan Moore's. Yep. What? Um, <laughs> the plot of it is lots of Alan Moore's invade this reality, and it's up to Alan Moore to prevent Alan Moore's from invading Earth. This is going to be as brain-breaking as being John Malkovich, isn't it? Um, there's, there's a scene of it with, <laughs> where, where we meet Neil Gaiman who's caught carrying a crucifix, but that's a different book, and this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about Laptop Guy. Um, but this is something that Black, Black Art for us do. So, is it any good? Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, did it make me laugh? Yes. Does it feel very in-jokey? Yes, it does. If you... Uh, when I'm wearing a certain hat... I am a sequential art editor for Starburst magazine. Really, Ed, are you? Oh, that's <laughs> impressive. That's an instant. No, I, I, one of the things to do for Starburst magazine is, in addition to to this radio show, where I talk about books rather than comic books, uh, and occasionally talk about comic books, um, is I get, I get to read all sorts of really cool comic books, and um, BHP are very exciting in that regard. They do an awful lot of cool stuff. So I can I can see almost I can see almost all of the jokes. Uh, I first listened to the hands of a friend of mine who wasn't that massively in the, in the comics industry and they found it hilarious as well. It is silly. It is very, very dark. It's about a failed creative journey. Or at least it's about a struggling creative journey. Um, it's about how hard it is just to get anything out there and get people to read anything out there. I have decided I need to read this. Yeah, it's uh, Jack Lovian, by the way, who is the scriptwriter. Uh, is also responsible for the likes of Ashes to Ashes, Skins and Shameless. I definitely need to read this. Uh, three of uh, three of my favourite Brit- uh, British drama series for quite um, a while. So yes, um, did I like it? Yes. Is it worth your time? Absolutely. Should you read it? Yes. Will you get it? Well, let's find out. Uh, it's a short version. Um, silly, witty, clever, daft. Um, and it's called Laptop Guy, and you can find more about it on www.bhpcomics.com. Ooh. Across the world, twenty-four hours a day. So we were lucky enough to talk to Jason Hoff, and um, he was lovely. Uh, so we talk about all things spy-fi in this interview here. This is Fab Radio International. Jason Hoff, welcome to the Bookworm. Thank you very much. Tell us about your new book, please. Uh, oh, my new book is called uh, Zero World, um, and it comes out um, in mid-August, I think on the 18th over there, from Titan. Um, it's about uh, an assassin who has is sent to eliminate a, a scientist that's suspected of poisoning a, a parallel Earth, essentially. I'm, I'm glossing over some of the details because I don't want to spoil too much. Um, 
And at the same time, he's essentially dealing with the realities of an implant in his head that allows his handlers to delete um, his memory after each mission um, and sort of all the ramifications that go with that. Why Spy-Fi? I don't know. Um, my first my first three books, yeah, I guess the, the concept was pretty wild. I um, And in that case, it came from, you know, over the years, I had a number of different ideas for stories and uh, one day I just realized an interesting way to combine like four of them together into a single um, you know cohesive thing and uh, and so I just went with it and and then in the case of this one I um, I initially had what was probably rather a simple idea which unfortunately if I explained to you what the simple core idea was it would probably spoil too much of the book um, but basically as I was writing I realized that that I needed some other elements to um, not only to make the story more interesting, but also just to kind of shore up the world that it was being set in and all that. Uh, and so it came about a little bit more organically this time, I guess. Why is Spy-Fi back? I, I don't know if it ever really went away. I'm sure there's been ups and downs, but, um, but uh, I feel like, uh, you know, for me, with, with Richard K. Morgan's books, the, the Kovacs novels, um, those are sort of the benchmark that I, I look at. Um, and, uh, you know, there's certainly been things before that, but I think also there's been sort of a real nice uh, resurgence in the Bond franchise with Daniel Craig taking over that role uh, and over the last, you know, I guess eight, eight years now maybe. But, um, yeah, I don't know if it ever really went away. I just think it's uh, it kind of ebbs and flows like probably anything does. What's next? What's next for me? Uh, I am I am currently writing a uh, a new uh, set of books that take place in the same universe as my first trilogy, the Dire Earth trilogy. Um, These will be uh, sort of a continuation of that story, but um, different enough that they're being written as a as a separate series, essentially. You seem to like mixing spy-fi with high science fiction concepts. Why is that? Um, gosh, that's a really good question. I don't know if I could pinpoint a single thing, but I think, um, growing up as a kid, I read mostly, uh, fantasy like Terry Brooks and, and David Gemmell and, um, and also things like Stephen King and, and Ian Fleming. And, and I think they really shaped a lot of my thinking, but at the same time, I was also very much into video games and eventually even became a a game designer for a long time. And so I think that, uh, you know, a lot of my, I would say a good portion of my sort of sci-fi and, and fantasy background comes from the game world rather than just uh, literature. Do you think people are reading more? Are people reading more? It seems to me they are, and I, I don't know if that's so much just the current sort of love affair with um, with e-readers has got people back into reading again. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at, at pure you know, sales trends and whatnot, it, it, books are selling more year over year. Um, so it does seem to be increasing. Why are we still obsessed with Bond? I think you know it's it's uh, a little bit of the whole escapist fantasy of of being um, essentially you know in a way he's kind of a superhero without any actual superpowers. Although sometimes in the movies they make him do things that are a little bit unrealistic. Um, but I think it's you know entering this world of intrigue, and you know most of these stories are set on Earth and within our sort of current you know, political climate, I suppose, uh, and yet it's getting to see a side of that that, you know, that is sort of only hinted at, I suppose, in the, in the real world, in the real news cycle that, we, that we're all exposed to. Of course, in my case, it's a futuristic story, um, but I think, uh, you know, those elements are still there. Why would you say that your works are so cinematic? I think it's, it's a mix of both. Um, when, I, when, I was a, uh, when I was younger, I, I wanted to be a I wanted to be in the film business and the special effects business specifically. Uh, and so I think I've always sort of approached this kind of thing from a visual standpoint. And in fact, one of my little exercises when I sit down to write a chapter is I will, I'll, before I write anything, I'll just kind of pause and I'll, I'll look up at the ceiling or off into the distance and I'll just try to visually walk myself through what's going to happen in this chapter as if I'm seeing the movie of the, of the book that I'm writing. Uh, and that really helps me sort of block out the scene and, and figure out the setting that it's going to be in. And I can even like sort of imagine like little visual details or, or, you know, just other sensory things that I can put into the, into the prose itself. If you could write for one franchise, what would it be? 
Um, it may seem like the obvious choice, but I, I would really, really love to write uh, an official James Bond novel. I think that would be sort of the, the that's sort of my career goal. <laughs> if you could tell the 16-year-old vision of yourself one thing, what would it be? Wow, that is a great question. Um, I guess I would probably tell myself not to be too fixated on the path that I, I see for myself. When I was 16, my my driving goal in life was to become the next Ridley Scott, the next big sci-fi film director. And I think I spent a lot of time chasing that when, uh, when you know, now I've sort of realized that there's other, other creative endeavors that are just as interesting and just as satisfying um, that I, I could have, you know, looked into earlier. I didn't start writing until very late in my life, just uh, 2007 or so is when I really started taking it seriously. If you were trapped on a desert island with only one book for company, what would it be? I guess if I was going to pick, geez, that's a really, really tough question. Um, I would probably pick one of uh, one of Richard Feynman's uh, nonfiction books about his life as a physicist. Um, I'm trying to think of which one I'd pick, but man, they're all so good. If I had to pick a fiction book, I guess I would probably pick Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Um, that's the book that I just find uh, eminently rereadable. Uh, every time I, I read it, I just get more and more enjoyment out of it. Simpsons or Futurama? Futurama. Hoverboards or jetpacks? Jetpacks. Truth or beauty? Truth. Jason Hoff, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. This is Fab Radio International. Well, thank you, Jason, for that. Um, my review today is uh, Casino Royale by Ian Fleming. It's like we planned this stuff. I know, right? Well, I say review. It's more I'm just going to natter in a really enthusiastic way about it because, you know. Um, <laughs> I pulled it off my shelf, realising it with, with my, usual, uh, TV, uh, my usual TV and media crossover, um, no, noting this year has been an absolutely huge year for, um, for spy movies. I mean, indeed, yes. indeed, the latest issue of Starburst is all about spy-fi and is available on your shelves right now. Good grief, the coincidences are Where would just, I be able uh, to get Starburst <laughs> magazine from, Ed? Oh, uh, all good retailers, some bad ones, uh, <laughs> and also places like Asda. <laughs> so hopefully we've started with the likes of Kingsman which I haven't seen yet but I've heard oh, very I've seen very that. good things I've, I've, about. Seen, I've seen that and I can tell you now this month I will be getting to um, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and The Man from Uncle because they both look tremendous in uh, very in, uh, entirely different ways and of course I've been ridiculously excited about the uh, spe- the Spectre trailer for uh, which is coming up later this year which is kind of what got uh, which is kind of what got what got me thinking about this there's that- also the comedy spy Yes, there is also the comedy spy, which I just, <laughs> which I managed to just miss again. And uh, Spooks, the Greater Good, was out this year. It was also very good. If you if you were a fan of the TV series, you've no doubt already seen it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the other reason was um, another writer friend of mine, Alex James, had uh, recently stuck a review up on this uh, on, on Goodreads because he decided to go and uh, re- revisit it himself. So yeah, uh, Casino Royale was. Um, was was firmly in the mind when I because it's the it's the starting point for the Bond novels, um, even though of course Doctor No was the first film. Uh, it's, uh, it was quite a few decades of, um, in between the uh, in between the official film being uh, being made and, uh, and and the book's release, even though of course. Uh, this has attracted more uh, reversions and spoofs than, um, than than any other, really. So I'm sure you, uh, you know, David Niv- David Nil- Niven and Woody Allen about. But anyway, uh, the book story itself, the uh, the premise is one of the most uh, is actually one of the most iconic for um, in, in the Bond series. Even though weirdly, it's a completely different formula for the uh, to uh, to uh, most of the others. Bond's a uh, massively skilled card uh, in, in, uh, is, is a tremendously skilled card player and is sent to um, uh, and is sent to go and deal with um, Le Chiffre 
who is the paymaster for a Smirsch-controlled trade union in a high-stakes Baccarat game in France. (laughs) (laughs) The Smirsch were actually an organisation, weren't they? They were, Deaf to Spies. So this sounds like a really good start for um, you know a, star- a spy movie, <laughs> for a spy novel. Going to try and deal with people who are, yeah, it, it does it, it does make sense. Let's take away, uh, let, let's um, let's ruin the finances for the, for the, you know people who are just trying to kill our agents left, right, and centre. So. In in Wade's Bond, and of course, this is also uh, uh, this is also the first time we get to uh, meet Felix Leiter as well, who is his um, a buddy and uh, CIA compatriot. Now, Bond, as we say, is rather good at uh, is rather good at cards. The game, by the way, is baccarat in this, as opposed to the uh, poker that was that, that you'll have seen in the film. It all made entire sense to me. Um, and of course, Bond manages to come through and uh, shows his uh, and uh, shows his skills. But at that point, he's uh, uh, well. I say love interest far more complicated than that. Vesper Lind, um, mm. who also who uh, also ends up as a uh, as a double agent. Now, um, Bond being uh, Bond being Bond, he's uh, he, he he tends to be uh, he, he he tends to be of uh, of of huge romantic interest to um, just about any woman he runs into. But um, in Vesper Lind's case, it's um, it, it's actually quite a uh, it's actually quite a nicely um, drawn out little love story this, it's so, just this sounds nothing like the movie I saw with David Niven it's not the movie you saw with <laughs> David Niven How? What, 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 what does the movie with David Niven involve? <laughs> oh have you not seen it? oh it's oh, so it's, long ago it's, it's genius it, it's not terrible. It's absolutely awful. But it's just uh, though in all seriousness, you say awful. I say parody spoof. <laughs> uh-huh. um, though in all seriousness, it does. You know, it sounds like the movie Casino Royale with, um, with that 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 bloke, that Daniel Craig Craig bloke. Uh, it just sounds like it follows the plot very closely. I think this is the. Uh, that was another reason. I think this is actually. Um, of the Fleming novels, I think this is probably the book that um, uh, the book to film um, that follows the uh, that they uh, share plots most closely, which is um, quite uh, which is quite impressive considering the time gap and the um, the alterations that they did have to make. Um, but actually, they don't. Uh, none of them, none of them do any harm. Um, I think the 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 alteration that. Um, quite amuses me. Often goes with the, some of the character descriptions. I'm not talking about Daniel Craig, but um, Le Chiffre is, um, I believe, in the books uh, a um, fairly uh, a, a fairly um, portly little guy who's um, who, who, yeah, is basically not Mads Mikkelsen <laughs> <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. But uh, yeah, as I say, the the plot follows through quite nicely of course of course organizations uh, the organizations are different as well which is uh, an essential change smirch in um, uh, um, you know smirch in the early 2000s i'm oh, oh. uh, not sure it works so well yes however very much cold war uh, yeah yeah very 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 much cold war just uh, which is quite, uh, which is quite fun, because, as you know, Bond seems to have this habit of um, being up, uh, of of being up to date at all times, which spawns many theories as to, um, you know, whether James Bond is uh, well, it did up until Skyfall, uh, spawned a lot of theories as to whether, you know, the name James Bond was just a legend that that um, could have could have gone through. Time Lord, Time Lord, he's a Time Lord. This is also possible. What, what the Bond, the 007? What, what, what do you call this time, Lord? <laughs> Bond. He's always Bond. He's always James Bond. He has a companion change. called Q. <laughs> Ooh, maybe Q's the Time Lord. Maybe they're both Time Lords. Whoa. <laughs> 
so, so anyway, so yeah. uh, so it's. Um, I almost feel ridiculous saying this, but what's the book? <laughs> <laughs> well, this gets me. Well, well, this this gets me to um, bring in the uh, bring in the song part as well, which is you know you you know my name, which Ian Fleming would be saying if he was here, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, Exactly Sorry, that. Like that. You really <laughs> can't. Say. And yeah, um, my edition's Penguin Books. Across the world, twenty-four hours a day. begin talking now ah yes uh, oh thank <laughs> you <laughs> so yeah spies spies um, just just before we, we, we go to to spies and spy fi let's talk quickly about wifi you can contact us <laughs> on <laughs> at Radio Bookworm via tw- Twitter you can contact us on uh, forward slash Radio Bookworm on Facebook and we're on Tumblr as Radio Bookworm you might notice a pattern you can also get to us on the com website. Just click on podcasts and there we are. If you're on iTunes, you can find us and you should definitely say very nice things about us on the um, the review section, please, because that really does help us out. So back This to message you. will self-destruct in <laughs> 20 seconds. That, that, that means I explored. That's, that's not something I, I, I particularly... Fine, do. fine, I'll deactivate it. <laughs> Thank you very much. I have no desire to explore from right to right. <sighs> no, it my own ruins home, yes. all my fun, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes. Actually, I've, I've, there's a gimmick for a book. Well, a book that just explodes when you finish reading it. Oh, last page. Oops. Well, that would be rubbish if you were the sort of person that reads the last page first. Because it's <laughs> like, bang, bang. Heck of a twist. Also, exploding books, I don't think it would get past customs. Probably um, not. But uh, it would solve the resale problems. So, yes. Um, and shelf space. The, the Jason Hoff stuff, uh, he writes an awful lot of. Uh, we, we, you know, I, I, I call it spy fi, but a lot of it is just weird stuff that happens where he uses technology and then, you know, competent people from agencies that hire competent people find themselves in remarkable situations. Um, it's kind of his, his general theme. Hmm. Um, it's, it's high tech rather rather than specifically espionage it's high tech in its agencies and there's a, that interesting trend now where we don't we don't just have James Bond stories we have stories about the agencies themselves and how the agencies work themselves yeah well even um, uh, I think even Charlie Stross has touched upon this at some point only, <laughs> only a few times <laughs> But, um, I quite like the laundry. I'm very fond of the laundry. If you've not read the laundry, you should. Um, it's a see the thing I like about the laundry is the fact that they have to put in proper expenses forms, and he deals with that whole nonsense. And it's like they, you know, they're, they're a very secret, secret agency. But at the end of the day, they're also civil servants, and they go through the whole civil servant nonsense of different grades. And you know, this is above this, this threat to reality is above my pay grade. The one so, thing they can't save the world from is bureaucracy. <laughs> no, because there's a lot of bureaucracy. But, um, I'm saying desperately trying to fuse this with, with Laptop Guy, but Laptop Guy is basically a critique on um, on the world of creativity. Whereas, let, let's be honest, Bond is a, a creative... I suppose, actually, Bond is a creative expression of, of a really boring bureaucratic job. It, it's certainly a critique. I, I read something on this um, actually quite recently, and I'll, I'll see if I can fi- I'll see if I can find it. But there there, there was something Fle- there, well, there was something very specific Fleming was going for when he started this off. What it's spun into since then has uh, has been quite wildly different. But there we go. Uh, I, I gather was uh, certainly with the early Bond Bond. It's a 
it's a look at the, the way nations conduct themselves and the way they conduct their espionage and that sort of thing. Whereas, whereas you know, laptop guy is about a guy who who is trying to escape from his job. And it's a critique of that particular world as well. Ah, oh, here we go. Within the spy storyline, Casino Royale deals with themes of Britain's position in the world, particularly the relationship with the US in the light of the defections of the Soviet Union of the British traitors Guy Burgess and Donald McLean. Um, Tinker Taylor sort of spy does that much better. Very, well. very well, yeah. They're, they're very distinct strands. I, I love Le Carre stuff, by the way, as well. So, um, there's, there's, I, think, I think Bond is where... Bond is where spy thrillers head into the genre of spy-fi and we've kind of I've thrown that word around a lot but spy-fi is where they have toys I think it's the easiest way where it heads into science fiction uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy is about secrets mm. um, whereas the later Fleming novels are about you know high-tech threats to the world Judy Dench's M is one of the uh, uh, one of the most significant and that well she refers to uh, she refers to Bond as a blunt instrument. Mm. That's exactly what he is. <laughs> but whereas yes, and it's you know he's an unsubtle action hero, mm. sort of a person who just punches his way. It's about that. Isn't he a thug in the books as well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, basically, yeah, half of the reason he's so well compelling as a character is because of well, he, he's he is he is one of these uh, uh, he is one of these troubled protagonists. He's not. He, he's he's not um, he, he's not a good guy by nice standards. He just gets the job done. He's asked to do, and he's constantly haunted by um, various demons. He's um, uh, it's an extremely heavy drinker, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he's um, his his ability to hold down a lengthy relationship is shall we say questionable. Usually because of uh, usually because there's death involved, but. Um, to be honest, Bond's just not really a settling type. A living manifestation of gunboat gun, gun diplomacy. Yeah. Sort of thing. There's a, uh, there's a, a, I think it's actually a Dungeons and Dragons fantasy trope where they have a magical sword called Reason. As in, let's make them see Reason. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> stab the stab the stab. Aggressive <laughs> diplomacy. Aggressive diplomacy. Star Wars. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Aggressive negotiations. I have this. I have this laser sword, and you don't. Run. But um, we're getting totally off the topic. Or do we keep going back to? How, do we keep going back to spy genre stuff? Why? Why? Why are we romanticizing this sort of violence? Because it really is violence. I. Th- uh, political climate again, isn't it? We're in a. Uh, we, we've we, we've spent the entire year on some um, uh, 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 on some alert going from uh, going from moderately high to severe, and it's just <sighs> frankly, I think there's a lot of people just need the escape of knowing that there is that there is an individual or team of individuals that are actually um, that, that that are actually looking after us in a really good way. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't invite. James Bond to your wedding. Let's be honest. Oh, no, that's going to go badly wrong. For a start, he'd run off with the bride. Mm. Um, and if he didn't run off with the bride, he'd kill half your guests. Also, if he turned up at all, you know something. Something's gone horribly wrong. Even on the even on the man's day off, he's still probably uh, one. He's probably there because you know one of your um, one of your guests is an international criminal. Blimey, is this? Just, just no. I think. <laughs> just no. But yeah, I think. I think the thing is, you get spy fillers, which are all about spies and spies and this sort of thing. You get spy fi but is spy fi becoming more and more realistic in a sort of horrifying way? You look at, I'm going to the movies here, but you go and look at Austin Powers, and they they make this wonderful commentary. Whereas in the sixties version of Austin Powers. He has a has a television communication system built into his car, and it's perfect and it works and it looks fantastic, um, and that's because it's fantasy. Whereas in the future they have a, a like a laptop on there and it's a bit glitchy because it's a real world. Because it works, yeah. Because it actually works. And it's a real piece of technology. We've got, you know, you can fit all sorts of really cool tech devices into the heel of a shoe now. Mm. I have a device in my pocket that does a whole load of really cool science fiction things. I can scan things and examine things, and it's a consumer good. 
I think this is why I like Skyfall so much as well, because um, certainly on the certainly on the uh, gadget side, because they really had to dial it back. Because mm. you know, what what Bond gadget can you have that um, that that you know doesn't exist? We need a couple more. We need a couple more years in a new film to think about this, because most of it's already out there. I mean, maybe they'll surprise us with Spectre, but is the <laughs> obvious next move to go to the realms of Nick Fury? Uh, I don't mean Nick Fury from the movies, I mean Nick Fury from the comic books. Uh, one else gets a version of Nick Fury absolutely called a John Storm, I believe. P- perfectly correct. And Nick, uh, and Nick Fury does this in the comic books as well, where he has superpowers for a small amount of time because they only have a budget for X amount of superpowers <laughs> because they are an agency. So he's like, so, so he, he, he turns around and says, invisibility, five seconds. And he's invisible for five seconds, which is long enough for him to run from one side to another side, plant the explosive device and then run away without getting shot. Or intangibility, so he can like you know kill the, the Hulk like monster. and then. But he's only got that for a very limited amount of time because of the limits of the technology. And it's kind of, I wonder if we're going to see more ridiculous spy toys. So a more sort of um, transhuman bond where, you know, he's perhaps given some performance enhancing substances to um, <laughs> get a job done as opposed to, you know, being given a, uh, being given a watch which is, um, oh, which, is basically an, uh, which is basically an eye watch. Transhuman bond, Eclipse Fears style bond. So bond... Is Bond's not a person, but a meme that gets infected into people's brains and is downloaded, and then suddenly you know, the next you know, the next person in the room is Bond for for five minutes while he goes and does Bond things, and then he's back to being Bob Smith, hmm. not Bob Smith on the queue. Though I'd love to see that. The uh, sequel being Spartacus, of course, because then you get to go around making everybody Spartacus. Obviously, have we run out of time? Yes, we have. Ah. <laughs> the world the real alternative fabradiointernational.com next week in case you haven't gathered we'll be at nine worlds so the show will be about us at nine worlds it'll be a pre-record the week after we'll also be us actually at nine worlds anyway after all of that confusion, I'm going to go. So I have been your host, Ed Fortune. And I have been Russ Smith. We'll see you at Nine Worlds. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Russell Smith. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>